0: Welcome to the Fit for the Future podcast, which helps you navigate this fast-changing world by bringing you ideas, information, interviews, and insights for being fit for the future. Here's your host, Gihan Pereira. Welcome to the podcast, which today is coming to you not from my hometown in Perth, but from the other side of the country in Sydney, where I'm here for a business trip. Uh, I had some presentations last week and uh, I'm going on to Auckland this week, so I figured that rather than going flung back home uh, for a few days, I'd I'd, I'd make it a round trip. So I'm away from home for a couple of weeks and uh, uh, enjoying some time here in Sydney, which is usually sunny Sydney, but it's a little bit gloomy and wet at the moment. Now, one of the presentations that I'm doing uh, while I'm over here is a virtual presentation one that I'll be doing tomorrow. It's for one of Australia's largest financial services brands and um, they're running a program for uh, all their people around the country and uh, rather than bringing them together into one conference centre for me to deliver my keynote I'm doing it remotely. So we're doing it using webinar software and it means that I've got people all around the country and they'll all be attending my presentation about innovation. Uh, So this is a similar sort of presentation to the one that I normally give uh, as a keynote presentation. I call it Bright Sparks but here I'm doing It is a virtual presentation. Uh, And if you've never done virtual presentations before, they raise some interesting challenges. Uh, I can't guarantee that I've got everybody's attention. I haven't got eye contact with them. Uh, They can't see me. They can see my slides and they can hear my voice, but they don't get to see me. So we don't have that personal rapport that you get in an in person presentation. I also don't get immediate feedback. I don't know whether they're laughing at my jokes or not, uh, which may or may not be a bad thing. If I ask a question, I have to wait for them to type in their answers or can turn on the microphone and one person at a time can speak. I can't see them raising their hands in the audience. I can't really get a feel for the energy in the room and it may not just be one room. Some of them might be attending privately sitting in front of the computer at their office desk. Some of them might be working from home. Some of them might be in a small meeting room watching the presentation being projected onto a big screen. Some of them might be logged on but might be checking their email or doing other work. Uh, so it's a very different environment than most presenters face. Now after a Lot of these presentations, and so it's no problem for me to do that. But a lot of presenters get unnerved by it because you have to change a number of things. You need more interactive bits um, so that you know how the audience is feeling, you know whether they're getting it, whether they've got any questions. Um, you want them to participate, so you create some uh, activities that encourage participation. Uh, you provide more opportunities to stop for questions rather than making it mostly a presentation with just a few opportunities for questions. Because you want to create that rapport and you have more opportunities for questions and there are more times when I'll check in with the audience and see how they're going or maybe run a poll so that I can uh, get a feel for the temperature in the room. Um, I'll use some other tools for collaboration and feedback and not just the polls not just people typing in questions but there are some other interactive tools that I can use as well and having done this a lot I know there are other ways to manage the energy than at a conference where I'm standing in front of a group of 200 to 500 a thousand people uh, where I have that energy in the room, Uh, I know that with the virtual presentation, there are other ways that I can do that. So, as I said, for many speakers, this can be quite unnerving. And uh, interestingly, uh, sometimes the most experienced speakers are the ones who have the biggest challenges with this because they take for granted the environment in which they operate. Uh, They can even unconsciously uh, know what's going on in the room. They can see somebody who's about to ask a question. They know whether the people are laughing at their jokes or not. So they build on that and they use it without even thinking about it. And, And suddenly, when they're making a virtual presentation... All of the environment changes. The things that they that used to work without them even realizing uh, don't work anymore. And I think the same applies for leaders when you're leading a distributed team, a virtual team or a remote team. If you've grown up with the idea of um, MBWA management by walking around, then you know that you can walk around and see how your team's going. You know when people are in the office and when they're leaving. You know what the general mood of the office is. But it can be quite unnerving when you're leading a distributed team, what's sometimes called a virtual team or a remote team. And this becomes particularly important when conflicts arise, because conflicts are inevitable. We're humans, so conflicts are going to arise from time to time, but they can be particularly challenging when you're working in a distributed team. And if you're the leader of that team, it becomes even more important for you to be able to manage those conflict situations when they arise, otherwise they can really spiral out of control. And that's why in today's podcast episode, I want to tackle this issue of how to manage conflict in distributed teams. My friend Chris Pudney and I, who wrote the book Out of Office, uh, talk about this and we look at this in detail, how you as a leader can manage conflicts that arise in distributed teams. In fact, we first look at how you can prevent conflicts in your distributed team and then secondly, how you manage them. So let's join that conversation now.
1: So we are
0: going to talk about conflict.
1: Unfortunately, it's an inevitable part uh, of human interaction, but hopefully it's an infrequent one. Um, But it's important to talk about because the consequences can be quite bad. end up with some unhappy workers, you lose productivity, there's general dysfunction, people even leave their jobs, leave their workplaces as a consequence of conflict that's left untreated. So what we'll talk about today is how to keep conflict to a minimum, and then we'll talk about how to deal with conflict when it does arise. But let's start with a few assumptions. Firstly, we'll assume that the conflicting parties actually want to work well together. You don't have a rogue who's being deliberately hostile, for example. Um, And also recognise that not all conflict is bad, that sometimes it can lead to positive change and improvements in your ways of working. But that said, we are talking about things that are actually negative, things that we would prefer to avoid, even though it can sometimes lead to positive outcomes. Um, And we're also not talking about things like friendly competition or debating and challenging ideas or playing devil's advocate. We're talking about the negative stuff here. So this episode isn't a general topic about conflict resolution. We are focused on specific issues that relate to distributed teams, and it is particularly relevant for distributed teams, Kihan, because some research that I read recently has revealed that distributed teams do suffer more from conflict than regular teams that are based in an office, and when conflict arises, it can be more difficult to resolve. Also, we are talking about conflict that's between two members of your team, but the same principles arise when it's conflict that actually involves you. So there are a couple of caveats to consider that when you're involved, you need to be a bit more sensitive because although you might want to treat the other party as an equal with you when you come to resolve in the conflict, you're still going to be their boss and so you still have a degree of authority or power over them. So be more sensitive and be more open so Ask more questions, listen more carefully and be more open to their ideas so that you get a much better understanding of their position and point of view. It's not just good emotional intelligence. It's essential when you're dealing with members of teams, team members who might be remote from you. It's easy in those situations
0: to make the wrong assumptions about their situation. That's good, Chris. And uh, as you say, we're talking about conflict with the distributed team members of people who aren't uh, working in the same office. And when you think about the types of conflict that arise, they're the same sort of things that happen with regular in-office teams. But because you have your team members working in different locations, different time zones, perhaps speaking different languages or maybe not having the same first language and having different cultures, there are some things that happen. And uh, first of all, you create potentially um, there's more potential for conflict because people aren't working in the same office. They can't just stick their head over a cubicle straight away. And also um, when conflict occurs, it can be magnified for the same reason because people aren't right there and they can't resolve it straight away. Um, and when we talk about conflicts, we're talking about both personal and professional conflicts. So personal conflicts are where there are um, two people who have a relationship clash because for some reason their personalities clash or they don't like each other. Um, And, you know there's when you when you think about an in-person team versus a, a, a distributed team there are pros and cons to this so one thing, one positive of having a distributed team is that there may be less of that of those personality conflicts because there's less in-person contact so people tend to focus on their professional work and maybe personalities don't tend to get in the same uh, get in the way the same as they do when you're working in an office uh, but on the On the other hand, when conflicts occur, they sometimes just arise out of simple misunderstandings because you're not communicating in person face to face with words, you might be saying, you might say something in an email that um, somebody misinterprets or they don't get your tone of voice and it may be a simple misunderstanding that blows up into a big issue. and also, when there is a real conflict, then it can be more of a challenge to address. And So you, as a leader or manager, have to be right on top of those um, so that you can address those conflicts um, very quickly. And uh, First of all, be aware of them and then address them. Um, the second area is, is the professional conflicts, and uh, that's more based around the work that your team is doing. So they, they're the, probably the more common kind of conflicts that occur, and uh On the positive side, they're a little bit more straightforward to resolve than the personal conflicts because you're not talking about dueling personalities or clashing personalities. um, But you're talking about actually work related stuff. And quite often um, you resolve the conflict and both parties are happy and you go on with a, with actually something that's better than what you started with. Um, On the other hand, there's a little best, there's a little less margin for error when you're talking about a distributed team. Um, For example, if something, if something's going to be delayed, in an in an office, and you can just walk over to the person and say, Hey, do you mind if I send this um, if I if is is delayed by an hour, um, but when you're working with people from possibly the other side of the world and you don't have the chance to do that immediately, delaying something by an hour could actually make have significant knock-on effects. So you've got less margin for error when things go wrong. Um, and also, when you do have these sort of professional conflicts, uh, if, you let them, if you let them fester and let them grow, then they can turn into um, those personal conflicts as well, and then, then it gets out of control.
1: Indeed, it does. So how do we manage these sorts of things, Kihan? Well, the old adage is that prevention is the best cure. Is the best cure, And so the idea then is to keep uh, conflict to a minimum. But at the same time, we don't avoid conflict at all costs, especially where you might have measures that result in valuable feedback being silenced or constructive criticism going unheard. And so What we want to do is develop a strong and cohesive team culture, and that helps to mitigate the effects of workers being in separate locations, separate time zones, having different cultures and and working in different languages. Um, And so the ways of doing this, I'm going to draw here on some research by Pamela Hines. She's looked and researched uh, exactly this topic, so how to manage conflict in distributed teams. And she's come up with a series of suggestions, the first of which is to try and avoid developing competition and rivalry within your team. Some competition is healthy, but with distributed teams, it's easy for a uh, mentality of us versus them to develop, uh, especially where people are working, for instance, in different locations. And that can erode the trust and rapport that teams need to avoid conflict. And you need to be especially mindful where you might have a bit of an imbalanced team structure. So you might have, say, a group of your team are based in a head office and some, uh, there are remainder of your team are in regional smaller offices, or you might have some people who are based in office and others who are working remotely from home. And in those circumstances, that is precisely the kind of circumstance where an us versus them mentality can develop. So you need to work hard to to overcome that kind of thing. So you can, for instance, give greater voice and opportunity to those smaller, let's say, disempowered um, parts of your team. You can offer them the opportunity to chair meetings or to lead presentations. Something else that you can do to develop a strong team culture is to work on the team having a shared identity. So create a sense within your team that we're all in it together. So let each worker understand and know how their work contributes to the common goals of the team and let the team know how those goals, the team's goals, fit into the bigger picture of the organization's or their client's mission. So what you're doing is giving your team your teamwork meaning. And this is especially important for millennials, but it's also a really good way of bringing your team together and having, and them having a shared sense of identity. The other thing that you can do is take the opportunity to regularly bring your whole team together. So that can be done virtually, you know, try and find a time when all of you can have a a team meeting where everyone is present. Uh, Even better, if you can find opportunities where you can get everyone together in person, that's a great way of developing a shared identity. The next thing that you can work on is having a shared context. So this is task-focused. We're talking about the tools and processes and priorities that the team has. Now, the idea is to try and develop a shared context, but with a distributed team, the, the context is necessarily going to differ. People are working in different time zones. They're speaking different languages. And so sometimes that context is going to differ or even be incompatible. And those differences and incompatibilities are the, exactly the kinds of things that can give rise to conflict. So where you have that in your team, you need to work hard to try and resolve those differences. That they're, they're unavoidable. So what you want is for your your different parts of your team to understand the different circumstances that each of the remainder, or the rest of the team are working in. One of the ways that you can do this, it's not always possible, is something like a site visit. So if you can get... Uh, part of your team to visit, to go on site to one of your regional offices or to one of the, the, the field, field locations that your team's working in, that's a great way of seeing in person uh, the circumstances that different team members are working on. It's not always possible, uh, especially where you've got a global team, but if you can, the, the idea is that you try and make your, each part of your team stand in the context that the rest of the team is working in. And finally, teams that can communicate informally also are teams that can develop a strong sense of identity and team culture so this is things like in a, in a regular office you bump into each other in the corridor, you can talk around the water cooler you can uh, you know pop into someone's office or cubicle and have a bit of a chat that sort of thing is not amenable with distributed teams necessarily so what you've got to do is try and engineer those circumstances so for instance in team meetings you can have the opportunity for people just to uh, spend five minutes talking about what they did on the weekend or um, you can allow people, you can say you just have a Policy, where it's okay to spend some time, say texting or using IM or some virtual shared workspace. We'll talk about that in a moment, where people can just talk uh, socially and get to know each other and build trust that way.
0: As you're talking about those things, Chris, it's just struck me that this is sort of this is the sort of issues that you've faced for well more, more than a decade now, working on the on the other side of the world with your with your team members and your colleagues. And, and I know you've talked to you in the past about bringing the team together, you travel to conferences, you get to meet people in person. How has that worked for you?
1: Yeah, so I do try to get on site um, regularly, so maybe once a year. Sometimes it's two years before I get to do that. But it's, it's also things like communicating informally, Gihan. I used to be a li- a, uh, quite businesslike and try and get meetings started and underway really quickly. Uh, but now I recognise there's real value in just having spending five minutes, having a bit of a chat, talking about what we did on the weekend um, uh, and not being so task-focused, that there's this... Uh, we know that um, the distributed teams and remote workers are very task-focused, but I think it's really valuable to try and just, just get to know people socially, the people that you work with, and that helps you get a picture of them in your mind and, and vice versa, uh, them of you, understanding the context and, and who you are.
0: Yeah, great, great. And, and you touched on the idea, Chris, that um, you do want to share context and have tools, processes and the infrastructure in place that allows you to do that. So let's talk a little bit about that. So one of the best things you can do to, to prevent or avoid the conflict uh, conflict from arising in the first place is just make sure that you do have those uh, virtual outlets for team members to share their concerns, to, to be heard and build trust. And the, again, you can't take it for granted because in an office that happens naturally. The office, the workplace is the place where people can get together and, and talk and sometimes it creates conflict, but it also allows the opportunities for you to address conflict and in a distributed team or remote workplace um, you have to create that intentionally rather than um, just assuming or relying on it happening automatically so think about things like your your virtual workspace Um, if all you're doing is you're providing nothing except emails back and forth and im or text back and forth it's probably not enough so you want to have some kind of if you like shared office space using tools like Slack or um, HipChat or Yammer, you want something so that there is a, people feel like there is a a shared workplace that they can, or workspace that uh, there's a focal point for your teamwork. And and when you provide that, it just has a number of benefits that, that, that are useful for your general productivity and general work operations, but also mean that you can kind of head off head off at the pass, any potential conflicts that can arise. For example, if there are problems, you can, you can air the problems early, especially task-related problems. People are quite happy to share them in the shared workspace because uh, they, they'll raise a problem or they will create a little Trello, what do you call it in Trello, on a board? But A,
1: a swim pad. line. A tr- they call it yeah. a yeah, card. That's yeah.
0: right. So yeah. You can raise a card. And you have a deadline attached to it, and people can comment on it. And um, any sort of issues that arise can be addressed online with no emotion. And uh, share publicly for everyone to see so it's open and and transparent and it also means that people can share issues and get them uh, get other team members to to comment on them so it becomes a collaborative effort rather than one person going off and trying to do a task in private and struggling with it and missing a deadline and then causing problems for the rest of the team because it's shared uh, everyone can contribute and uh, people want to help and uh, as we said at the start we're assuming that everyone has a positive intent Um, and so if you provide the place for them to do that and then they they will express themselves and they will share and contribute and the other thing with that is that you do get feedback along the way so rather than just having a task that somebody goes off and works on and then replies at the very end um, by sharing their progress along the way you do get honest and candid feedback as well um, which helps the individual tasks as well but just helps the overall um, the overall project flow as well and it helps to build trust because people in distributed teams build trust based on professional interactions rather than say in office teams where they build trust based on personal interactions like what you did on the weekend Um, in a distributed team people build trust based on what they see in terms of responsibility integrity being responsive all of those sort of positive things that, that help work to get done, also are the things that are also the things that build trust. And of course when you do this, you also build up this knowledge bank, this this repository of information and um, wisdom that is available not only to you, your team at the moment, but it's also available in the future to other people. And, and and it just makes it just makes life easier for everybody when that sort of workspace is available.
1: Yeah, Gehan. And I think also um, these workspaces, they're often uh things are discussed on their technical merits. So things are depersonalised and the opportunity to call someone an idiot doesn't arise because you do things on, you're talking about the technical side of the work that you're doing, that you're doing together and things are focused on the technical side rather than on the personal side of things.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly. And that said, um, sometimes you do need to take things offline. So make sure that you've got the right communication channels in place because you don't want to air grievances necessarily publicly. So make sure that you and your team members and and team members between themselves understand that there are appropriate ways and appropriate things to do in public and some things that should be done in private and that there are ways that they can do it in private. Um, For example, you you always want to make sure that a good leader or manager should say, my door's always open and make sure that there is a virtual door as well, that uh, people feel comfortable that they can pick up the phone and call you or set up a video conference call with you, or you know, host or start a um, an online meeting, if necessary, so that they can discuss issues before they get out of hand. And, and also keep in mind that some things do need to be confidential for, for a number of reasons. One is, of course, because you do need to protect people's privacy and confidentiality, but also because people feel more open sometimes talking about things in private that they wouldn't discuss in public. And sometimes it's just not appropriate. Not th- I mean, some of the things I'm saying sound so obvious. And yet, if you don't provide the infrastructure for that to happen, then the, the, more, the more friction there is for somebody to, say, pick up the phone and call or schedule a meeting or initiate an online meeting themselves, the less chance there is that they'll actually do it. So, so make sure that, it, that you make it easy for them to step out of that public workspace and do things privately if they need to. And the other thing, as a leader or manager, is that it's very much up to you to lead by example. And again, this is something that you would expect a leader or manager to do in an in office, uh, in an office. But you have to do it in a distributed team as well. And actually, make a proactively make an effort to show that you're that you're modelling the behaviour that you expect of others in your team. So, for example, be always offer constructive criticism. And be careful about criticising in public. Uh, I remember someone said to me once, uh, criticize in private, praise in public. And and I think that's a really good rule to follow for any sort of leader or manager. Um, Be careful not to make a criticism when you do criticize. Be careful not to make it personal because it's not always about the person. It's about their behavior. So separate the behavior from the person's identity. Um, And also make sure that you do encourage candor and openness and when somebody is candid and open that you don't punish them for it but you reward them for it you thank them for it and and the one last thing which I think is often overlooked is that when you make a mistake apologize it doesn't mean you have to um, apologize profusely and go overboard but do do be willing to say I'm sorry I made a mistake because uh, if you do that, then other people will feel comfortable doing the same thing. Not always, but uh, as if you don't say that, then it makes it more difficult for other people to do that.
1: Uh, yeah, and it's especially important when you do that as a leader, Gihan, isn't it? Then others will be more inclined. If the boss is doing it,
0: then you know
1: they're going to be more inclined to do it when it's, when it's their call to do so.
0: Exactly, and, and there's a right and wrong way to apologise. So, it's just from, if I say to you, "I'm sorry, you were upset by that," <laughs> <laughs> it's not really an apology. And I think the and the, the right way to do it, and, and you script these words: "I'm sorry, I made a mistake," yeah. and uh, be really clear. And when you put it in writing like that, it's pretty clear what your intent is. Um, whereas, just be careful. I mean, when you stuff that you do in email and on Trello boards and everywhere else, if it's in writing, people don't always see the tone behind it. Mm -hmm. So be careful about the words you use and make sure that they are clear and unambiguous. Good. Okay, so we've talked about the best thing that you can do for managing conflict in a distributed team, which is to um, head it off in the past. So make sure it doesn't occur, to avoid it or prevent it. Just to
1: conclude, Gihan, I think this idea of building a strong and cohesive team culture it has benefits outside of, con- of preventing conflict as well. It also does improve productivity and it does build trust. So conflict is, is a really important thing to deal with with distributed teams. And developing a strong and cohesive team culture is a great way of preventing conflict, but it has benefits beyond that. So I think it's really something that uh, leaders of distributed teams need need to focus on. It is something that we've talked about in the past as well.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I agree. And again, I'll reinforce the point that the most important thing, if you're a leader of a distributed team versus leader of an in-office team, is you just have to be more proactive about it. Mm. Um, In an office, some of the environment, the infrastructure, the setting is already in place for you. So you You're probably taking advantage of it without realising it. As soon as you've got a remote team or a virtual team or distributed team, all of that disappears, and you have to create that or make sure that it's in place. So you don't have to do it yourself personally, but make sure you get HR on board, IT on board, and, of course, your team on board to make sure that you create that environment um, that that allows you to create that cohesive team culture. Yeah, yeah and talked about how to prevent conflict uh, rather than how to resolve it. So we talked about how to either prevent or at least keep it to a minimum uh, by doing things like having a strong, cohesive team culture, um, giving opportunities for team members to express their concerns, to be heard, and also for you as a leader to lead by example. Um, And we're going to talk about what happens when all of those things won't don't work, because it's inevitable. Uh, Despite your best efforts, conflicts will happen, and so we'll talk about how to deal with conflict when it does occur.
1: We will indeed, and the first thing, Gihan, is that you need to act, and the key idea is that you act early, because uh, what you want to do is deal with conflicts before they, deal with them whilst they're small problems, before they escalate into large ones. And uh, in doing research for this, we came across, or Gihan, you came across uh, the conflict escalation model that's been developed by the Danish Centre for Conflict Resolution. And it's essentially a spectrum. At the one end, you've got uh, relatively mild conflicts, like a, a disagreement or something like that, where people see things differently. And then... As the conflict escalates, it gets worse and worse to the point at the far end of the spectrum, the, the severe end, you've got open hostility or polarization where people just quit their jobs or leave your team or, or worse. And the idea then is to try and is to act, is to detect that conflict is occurring in your team and to take steps to deal with it whilst the conflict is relatively mild because if you leave it too long, the conflict gets worse and it becomes more difficult to deal with. And with distributed teams, that's particularly important because when teams are distributed, when, when people are working remotely and separately from each other, when they don't, when they can't meet in person, the potential for escalation is amplified so things that uh, if someone says something in, in an office it's easy for someone to apologize straight away and, and for things to sort themselves out but if that's done in email or, or maybe on the phone then uh, the possibility of escalation is is heightened so for distributed teams catching it, catching conflict early and dealing with it as soon as you can is really important
0: yeah, and I've got a couple of examples, Chris, from my work life. When I was working in a in a team where, we, where it was a distributed team, and actually one was from my business. One is from when I was working in the UK, and I had a team. Uh, the rest of my team were in Perth, in Australia, and it just again, as you're saying, it's something that can happen with a distributed team, where misunderstandings can occur and um, so sometimes it doesn't have to be a major conflict situation it's just uh, you say something especially if you say something in email and it can be misunderstood uh, the, so one example that I remember very clearly um, was an email that I sent to one of my team members and uh, they replied um, a couple of days later saying uh, sorry, didn't get your email, maybe got lost in spam or something. Um, and uh, then I sent, it back and I sent it to them and followed up with an email saying I resent, I resent it, uh, but uh, I didn't put the hyphen between re and sent, so it, uh, it said I resent that. <laughs> so, and, of course, uh, they took it the wrong way, uh, which is uh, so it's completely unintended. But, uh, and it was a simple misunderstanding, and this was somebody who had a pretty good relationship, so um, we had a little bit of a laugh over it. Uh, I, but they didn't
1: it, threaten to resign or resign. They <laughs> yeah. the <in public> contract.
0: <laughs> Good point. Good point. Um, but of course, that, I mean, that could have escalated very quickly if we didn't have that relationship in place. And that, that was you know, an unintentional conflict. Um, a similar situation happened some years later when I was running um, when I was running my own business and I was dealing with a client, and uh, he asked me for something. He sent me an email asking me for something, and uh, I replied to him because he didn't if I had a deadline or a milestone and I replied saying what's the urgency I was really asking a very simple question like what is your level of urgency on this do you need it within the next 24 hours do you need it in the next week or not but he kind of took it as more like I'll get around to it what's the urgency he took it as if I was affronted by the request again it was a good client and then he's also somebody with high emotional intelligence and high social intelligence so he was able to address it fairly quickly um and I didn't even realize that uh, what I had said was ambiguous. Um, so again, it's, it's both those examples just demonstrate when you work in a distributed team, how it can be quite a challenge to uh, make sure that everyone understands each other all the time and unintentional conflicts don't don't arise. And When conflicts do arise, um, the the key is to deal with them um, using social intelligence. Social intelligence is is one of the 10 skills for the future workforce, which was identified by the the Institute for the Future. And, And you may have heard of Things like emotional intelligence interpersonal intelligence they 're all kind of the same thing. social intelligence is understanding people 's behavior um, and understanding that when people do something um, that 's what you see is their behavior but there is some sort of motivation behind that behavior and and when it comes to conflict um, and actually when it comes to any sort of behavior we can only see people 's behavior and uh, the first thing that we should do is uh, figure out their motivation behind the behavior because depending on their motivation you'll deal with the conflict in different ways and uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that in detail but let's talk about like very broadly uh, the four kinds of motivation that people have and so let's let's look at these from easiest to most complex and uh, the the four levels uh, briefly are environment, skills, values and identity and there is actually a fifth level which is uh, um, information which sits above all of them and it's actually the easiest to deal with and um, so uh, actually let's go, let's go through each one of them so information is where the two parties don't have the right information or the information is misunderstood um, like that example that i gave earlier um, those two examples where um, there was an Unintentional misunderstanding, um, and that's all it was. That's all it was. But sometimes, um, people think that they understand what's said, but there may be some missing information. Um, For example, uh, and again, let me pick an email example because it's so common in the workplace, especially in a distributed team. Um, If I email you something saying, or if I I ask, say to you, Chris, um, in email, uh, Chris, I need those changes by 2 p.m. Friday. Um, Now, I know exactly what I mean by that, um, but there's – opportunity for ambiguity and misunderstanding. So what does 2pm mean? Uh, We might be working completely different time zones. Uh, Which Friday? It might be pretty obvious to me that Friday is coming up in, say, two days' time. But if you don't read your email for another three days because you happen to have a a long weekend and a public holiday, then you're going to respond, uh, assuming that it's uh, the next Friday by the time you read the email. Um, And then what what do you mean by changes? If I say I need those changes, um, I've got to be really clear about what changes. I'm referring to. And even if you understand all of that, so you get the right time zone, you understand the Friday, you understand the changes, and what do I actually want delivered? What what format are you going to deliver it in? So if the changes are you going to send me back uh, a Word document with the changes done, it could be a Word document with the changes marked up so I can review it. You could do all the changes, convert to PDF and send it back to me. Um, It could be any one of those things. There's no right or wrong answer because I haven't been clear about it. Um, And even if I have earlier and we've had an agreement, it may not be completely obvious to you. So that's a simple example of um, a simple information obstacle and uh, that can cause conflict. Um, Most of the time it's pretty simple to solve and we'll talk about some of the solutions later, but that's the simplest kind And the next one is environment, which is about where and when, and this is very much uh, this is very true when we have got a distributed team, where people have got the right information, but there's something in the environment that makes it dif- difficult. Uh, the fact that you are separated in space, uh, the fact that you might be separated in time because you're working in different time zones, and um, there's office politics going on. And um, even in a distributed team, people there may be some people jostling for power, and um, people have different moods, uh, especially if you're operating in different time zones. Some people might be just starting their day, while other people are ending their day so they they've got different levels of energy and the company culture might be different people who are working at one office might uh, feel differently than people who work in another office or the people who are working from home so there are all of these issues around the, uh, the actual work environment that can cause conflict and the next level up or the next level down if you like if you're going deeper is a is uh, conflicts that arise because of skills so the environment's okay, um, information's okay but people just don't have the skills to operate well in that sort of environment. Um, so you can distribute a team and maybe online meetings aren't run very well because people don't know how to run the meetings. Uh, they don't know how to use the technology well. They don't know how to use email well. So they use uh, they do certain things through email, which makes, it, which makes things inefficient or ineffective and things get misunderstood. Okay. Then looking a little bit deeper again. Uh, so the skills are okay. Uh, But there's some value clashes. There's a, you know, for example, like this clash of uh, cultural differences. So people have different expectations about how people behave, what punctuality means, uh, standards of living are different in different cultures, and that and that might cause conflicts either because um, some people feel superior or they feel resentful. So all of those issues can happen. So just because people have the right skills and a good environment, doesn't necessarily mean that they have shared values. The last one, which is, uh, which really cuts to the core of people is conflict based on identity. So people do have, let's look at it. We've got the right information. We've got the right environment. We've got all the right skills. We share values, but there's, there's a clash at a personal level and people have a clash because of their self-esteem or their status or perceived status or their own ego. So their personality is getting in the way. So when as a leader, whenever you see a conflict going on in your team, um, then figure out what's going on for each, of, each person in, in that, each of those parties. You know, at what level are they behaving and at what level um, are they, as I said, that, what, what's their motivation that drives their behavior? So how do you figure it out? Well, in in-office team, you just go and talk to the people you wander over to their cubicle, you wander over to the office, you take them out for coffee. You can't do that all the time in a distributed team. So just think about how you're going to do that. Um, Are you going to do it with the email? Email is okay if you're just looking to get information and facts, but it's not very good for emotions. So you do need to talk to the people involved. If they're in your office, great, you can talk to them in person. But otherwise, you may need to talk to them in a phone call or a video conference, um, so audio or video, that's the, those are your options, but you do need to talk to people directly. You may even consider a three-way video conference call where you get both parties in the conflict involved and you have a, um, and you have a conversation with them just as you would in, in an office, but you do it in a meeting room. There are a few instances where you might not need to talk to people because this is just a simple misunderstanding and you can just resolve it by email, especially if if the relationship is good between people and there's there's a high level of trust, you can do this. But just just one thing to be aware of is only do this if you are sure, 100% sure that that, that everyone sees it the same way. Otherwise, what might seem like something really easy to resolve on the surface might actually be, there might be a deeper underlying issue below it. And just keep in mind that you've probably got some of the facts already, uh, probably more so in a distributed team than in an in-office team, because you've got um, email threads, document revision histories, uh, you've got recordings of your conference calls and so on. So some of the facts that uh, that led to the conflict and some of the information that you might need, background material, you might have already. Um, Just one thing though, is just be wary of holding people too closely to what they've written or said. So as you're not trying to say everything you said can be used as evidence against you because sometimes people say things in the heat of the moment, they write things in the heat of the moment, it gets recorded and you don't necessarily want to play it back and say, Chris, now when you said these exact words, what did you mean by that? If the other person backtracks, you can't push them on it and hold them to it because sometimes they just dig in their heels and that's not an effective way to, to manage the conflict. Okay, so in summary, figure out broadly which of those five levels applies for each of the people and that will help you understand what the issue is. And if there are people at different levels uh, which quite often happens um, so if it's simple misunderstanding, easy because both people are at the information level, you can get them to talk and resolve the conflict. But you know, if one of them thinks it's a simple issue about time zones and um, Chris didn't understand what I meant by 2pm, but the other one is somebody who doesn't like taking orders from a woman or an Australian or something like that from somebody in a a minor office in a remote outpost, then they're looking at it at a values or identity level. And in that case, you've got the clash of different levels. And in that case, you do have to resolve it at that deeper level, because uh, one party is at that deeper level.
1: So having diagnosed what level the conflict happens to be at, it's time to go about addressing the issue. and it will really do so your role in helping to resolve the issue will depend upon the level that you've determined that you've diagnosed that the conflict uh, revolves around so again we'll take we'll take um, each of those different levels in pern and talk about the role that you as a team leader will have um, in helping to resolve and address conflict. So starting again, we'll work from simplest to most complex. At the informational level, where it's a simple misunderstanding or an absence of facts or some opinions, then your role is to be an advisor. It's relatively simple and straightforward. So it's best if you can get the the parties involved to come up with their own solution. You simply advise and guide them. And in a distributed team, it's probably something that could be handled using email, or they might be able to use an instant messaging tool or some other... The way of, of, of resolving it um, electronically without, um, without having to get face-to-face or, or, or call each other. And depending on the solution that they come up with, it might be something that's useful for the rest of the team. So take a note of it and perhaps share it with the rest of the team. Then going to the next level, we we're talking about an environment. So it could be something around the culture of your team or organisations, a mismatch in time zones or some policies that aren't working. This is this is going to be in your wheelhouse as a team leader you need to act as a manager so again you can engage with the people involved and ask for their suggestions but it's really it really falls to you to take action and Depending upon the nature of the conflict, the, the issues that you have to deal with sometimes are going to be completely with you within your control. So it might be that you've got an us versus them culture that's developed within your team. It might be the way that people aren't clear about how to use email when they're communicating. So there might be some policy that needs to be cleaned up and, and communicated to your team. Those sorts of things are within your control and you can take action on them. Other things will be external to, to the kinds of things that you control. You might need to call in the organization's IT support team to, to help you out. You might need to shift some resources into the cloud or there might be some HR policies that need to be applied. In this case, it's still your responsibility to act and make sure these things get done. You just need to call in the services that make sure they happen.
0: I think this is one of those areas, Chris, where um, you really show to your team members, especially the people who are in some sort of conflict, um, just how much you're going to support them, um, especially if, you have, if it's outside your control. So you know, it, it may be something that's fairly easy to resolve between those two parties, uh, but they're looking at you to say that, yes, sir, I've gone to HR. Um, they want to see that you've, you've changed some systems or structures. Uh, and in a distributed team, they really value that you've gone gone into bed for them to make their environment better,:
1: yeah, absolutely, because if you're working remotely, then these are the sorts of things as as a worker in such a team, these are the sorts of things that are generally beyond your control, so you need a manager to take take control and do what needs to be done. So, if we go to uh, the next level, then if the conflict is around skills, so the kinds of tools that people are using, the practices that they 're employing, so the environment 's right it 's just the way things are going the way the team are going about things, your role here is to act as a trainer or a coach so again it 's clearly uh, something that 's in your wheelhouse it 's up to you to upskill your team members and provide them with the kinds of professional development that they need in order to learn how to do things well so the conflict uh, conflict is dealt with and is avoided in future. And when you've got remote team members, what you can consider is uh, enrolling them in online courses or MOOCs perhaps, or if there are workshops that are near where they're located, then they can attend those, or you can engage with some kind of mentoring, whether it's someone from within your team or a mentor from somewhere in the organisation. Then going to the next level, it's about value. So these are things like um, maybe a clash of cultures where people in different locations enjoy different standards of living. So with these kinds of issue, you do want the people who are involved to sort it, sort it out themselves. But you need to act as a mediator to make sure it happens that the discussions and and the resolution takes place in a controlled fashion and in these circumstances with a distributed team in particular it's it's important that you don't just do things by email here it's better if you can get the parties together at the same time, perhaps on a phone or a tele or teleconference even better if you can get them on video where the tone. And the kinds of visual cues that the, that the people are giving can be understood and read by the people who are, are trying to sort things out. And if possible, it's not always possible, if possible, bring the, bring the parties involved together in person. With some remote teams, that's not always going to be possible, but that would be the ideal situation. And finally, the, the deepest or most complex level is conflicts around uh, individuals' identities. So, if they've got issues with uh, their self esteem, their ego, they might have deeply held religious or ideological values. Your role in these circumstances is as a counsellor. So these are particularly deep issues and you might be able to, to help address them because you may well have um, enjoyed some people skills training. You may well understand or share the particular values that um, are involved in this particular circumstance. So there might be a, a way for you to act as a counsellor in these circumstances, but they are They could be particularly deep and ingrained issues. So, Gihan, you mentioned previously, in some cultures, some people might find it difficult to accept um, taking instructions and leadership from females, and that's a a difficult problem to deal with. And depending upon your level of ability to deal with that sort of thing, it might be better if you hand that over to a professional counsellor or someone from HR in your organisation.
0: Yeah, that's right. And I think, you know, looking at all of these uh, these five levels, Chris, so we talked about you as a leader and manager taking on different roles. Uh, you know, are you going to be an advisor? Are you going to be their, their, their boss, their manager? Are you going to be their coach uh, or trainer? Are you going to be a mediator? Are you going to be a counsellor? So part of your job is to take on all of those uh, or take on one of those roles, depending on which one's most appropriate, depending on the conflict that arises. And, you know, good managers and leaders do this anyway. You do this anyway in, in, in person, t- team in office team um, but it's even more important in a distributed team and I guess coming back to the point I made earlier as well Chris it's important to be seen to be doing it as much as it's, it is to do it uh, because your team members are looking to you for for cues and clues and if you're in the same office it's a little bit easier they see that because they see you doing stuff just make sure that whatever you do, um, you share with them as well. So if you say, "Look, I'm going to talk to HR about this," or "Let let me talk to IT," and uh, you send out an email to IT, you copy the copy the parties involved as well, because otherwise they don't get to see that anything's happening. You tell them that you're going to do something, or maybe you don't even tell them, and they just think that they just sit there with the conflict simmering, without realizing that you're actually taking action. So they want to see that actions um, that that things are happening. And they want to see that you're doing the right thing by them.
1: Good. That makes sense, Gihan.
0: Okay, good. So we talked about the conflict between the two parties, but also consider how you and the team can improve as a result of this. So how are you going to to learn from this and improve the environment for everybody? So um, maybe you do need better infrastructure, so things like better collaboration tools, maybe you need to put more stuff in the cloud so that people aren't working on um, different versions of documents that cause a conflict, maybe you need to get invest in better uh, video conferencing technology, um, maybe you need better processes and guidelines to make things a bit easier for people so um, you know, maybe have an email policy that people uh, that people uh, read and understand and follow and sometimes it just means better training as well, so um, are you providing the right sort of professional development and um, training and upskilling on a regular basis, not just when the conflict occurs, but um, are there opportunities for you to then revise where what people's skills are and do something about it? Um, and also revisit the team culture, make sure that people understand the shared values of the team, the shared goals of the team, because some, sometimes things like that uh, the, the reason that the conflict arises. And again, coming back to the part one of this, uh, this topic about uh, managing conflict. Sometimes you can prevent conflict um, simply by putting these things in place proactively. And just a couple of last things on this topic before we wrap up, Chris. Um, So one is looking at openness and transparencies. In some situations, some conflict situations, it is worth sharing what happened with the rest of the team, uh, generally because you want people to know what's happened and also that other people can learn from it. But also there are other situations where you don't want to share it, where it's completely appropriate to address and manage and resolve the conflict privately and nobody else needs to know. Generally, you only share with the consent of the people involved and if you think it's going to be useful for the rest of the team to know. Um, And I guess the last thing is for you as a leader, this is an opportunity, conflict's an opportunity for you to use the situation for your own personal development. And So after you resolve the conflict and everyone's happy, think about did you handle it well? Were you able to do it effectively? Could you have done it better? Uh, do you need more training? Maybe there are some skills that you could learn, like facilitation skills or mediation skills or have something to do with emotional intelligence. So use conflict, uh, the, the conflict situation as an opportunity for your own learning and growth as well. Excellent, Gihan.
1: So I think we can wrap things up. I was going to finish things off with a couple of proverbs. First one is prevention is better than cure. And then the second proverb is a stitch in time saves nine. And that is what I said earlier, act on conflict early before it escalates
0: and becomes more difficult to handle. Yep, great. And my parting comment, Chris, is uh, don't be afraid of conflict. Uh, uh, be open to it, be alert to it. And uh, as, you, as you said, Chris, uh, address it as quickly as possible, uh, but also see it as just a normal part of a workplace. And uh, uh, just it's part of your role as a leader to, to be able to manage conflict, not prevent it all the time, but be able to manage it with your distributed team members. Now, if you want to know what's on the horizon for the future, download my app, Fit for the Future, for your iPhone or your Android phone. And I created this app because many people come up to me after my keynote conference presentations and ask me how I do my own research, what blogs I read, what podcasts I listen to, what books I read, and they want some recommendations so that they can become fit for the future as well. So I created this app. I update it regularly with news, articles, videos, book recommendations, and other resources to help you become fit for the future. It's free and it's ad-free, so head over to the iTunes Store or the Google Play Store and just search for Fit for the Future and you'll find my app there. I hope you enjoyed the podcast and found something valuable for your personal and professional life. And if you did get some value from it, I would love it if you could do me a favor and give me a review and a rating in the iTunes store in the podcast area. And that helps to promote it to other people as well. And if you want me to share ideas like this live at your next conference, then check out my speaking topics and workshop topics at gihanspeaks.com. And if you want to engage with me in other ways, go to gihanperera.com where you can find my blog, my newsletter, my podcast, videos, and my free webinars series they're all free and they're all designed to help you leverage the potential of your organization your team and of course yourself so that you can become fit for the future this is gihan Pereira. bye for now for show notes past episodes and more visit kehanpereira.com and remember great minds don't think alike